And today I have a special guest, Geraldine Lundy. Uh, we're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff. And uh, well, Geraldine has got an amazing story, so I can't wait to hear it. Uh, welcome, Geraldine. And hello again. How lovely to see you. After I know. All these I was, years. I know it's been absolutely years because when Geraldine, um, am I allowed to say about your little? Uh, I can't, is it OB MB? I can't remember. What MBA. Yes, MBA. MBA. I mean, yeah. just that's awesome. But this, this is what I think will be really interesting, and particularly for nervous flyers, and maybe those who i've had experience in the past people who were wheelchair users that have had a fear of flying and that adds an extra dimension to it and the reason why i asked geraldine i've been begging geraldine to come on the podcast for a while now but she's a very busy human and the reason i wanted you to come on was because you were just brilliant when i used to run the fear of flying courses uh, for virgin then obviously you know i left mm-hmm. uh, i've always had people coming through to me saying what can you do for i've got a a child that uh, has autism I've got a child that has this and you know and I just thought right what can I do and you always used to come through literally within about you know three hours you'd be replying say right we can do this we can do that and it was all just yeah. seemed amazing so it doesn't surprise me that you've gone on to do this as your as your main thing now but let's let's rewind right tell us all about your work and what you've been up to well, things have changed a little bit over the mm. last couple of years due to the t- pandemic. Um, I just saw the news today, and I can say this isn't the public domain. They've just announced the, I think it was £3.7 billion Heathrow have lost because people can't fly, haven't been able to fly, all the challenges of flight. So it has been quiet for me as well over the last 18 months. But what is really interesting is both with companies and airports I support, and with individuals, it's obviously picking up again as, as the skies are opening. Um, but I'm going to rewind a little bit mm. to what you said, Paul, about when you, you were doing the Flying Without Fear courses and what I was doing for Virgin Atlantic. We were in the privileged position then that we had these amazing um, pretend aircraft, which were mock-up rigs. And um, I know you or your colleagues would ping me an email and say, passenger x this is the issue anything you could do and sometimes it could be as simple as we could point somebody in the direction of look at what's available at the airport some airports have got great websites of what's available or go online to your airline and have a look and see what they've got on their website and some airlines still have very good information and pictures which might be just enough for someone to know what they're going to meet throughout their passenger journey but for others, it could be, I really don't know if I can fly. And we had used these mock-up aircraft originally, mainly for wheelchair users. And they were worried about the mm. physical access of yes. could they get in and out of an airport seat, aircraft seat. And I would say when we first started doing that, probably about 15 years ago, it was 100% people with mobility. And over 10 years, it morphed into every one of them was much more an invisible disability. Mm. And with those invisible disabilities, things like autism, dementia, anxiety, 
a lot of it was the stress and the anxiety and the fear of the unknown of flying. Yes. And it could be, well, in fact, yeah, I'll tell you one of the simplest ones, which was amazing. This family, um, they had an adult daughter who was on the autistic spectrum and also had learning difficulties. And all of a sudden she had decided she wasn't going to fly. And they'd always had this wonderful family holiday and they couldn't understand why. And then they finally understood from her that she wanted to know where her special case could go. She was so worried about her special case with her special things of where it would be. And it was the quickest visit we ever did. We took her into the pretend aircraft and said, here is your seat. You can sit here and you're holding your case and it can either go under the seat in front of you or you can see this little box and we call it a hat rack above your head. It can go there. That's it. That all it took. And then they went on this lovely family holiday and she relaxed. And so it could be something as simple as that, or sometimes it could be several visits. Yes. Um, I remember one, and this was pure anxiety. And I think she might have been referred from you. And I couldn't make the initial part of the visit, the first visit. So some colleagues of mine helped, and I went in there late. And at 40 minutes in, she still couldn't go into the pretend aircraft. And I thought, okay, I get it now. For some people, the hurdle can be so huge. Mm. But this person was amazing because she had a focus. She wanted to do this to take her child on holiday. She came back several times. And I think she probably did some of the courses and work with you but eventually she went and we had this lovely letter from her she had had the holiday of a lifetime with her child it's lovely to see those journeys people go Mm. on and just to clarify so anybody's thinking pretend aircraft i mean these things were phenomenal i don't know where they are now but they were phenomenal because they were literally like a slab of aircraft stuck in a big hangar with carpet in the hangar and that's what you know. So you'd walk, you could be able to walk around, and it'd feel like a big room, but it was essentially like big chunks of aircraft. So you inside, once you went through the door, so the the emergency exits worked like they would, like you'd open yeah. the doors, you'd walk in. All the seating configuration was exactly as it is on board the aircraft. You had the galleys, you know, the kitchen areas. So for anybody that's got any semblance of fear whatsoever, it's going to be enough to trigger it, and which you mm-hmm. obviously experience. And so people would find it really really helpful once they got over the, the threshold of the edge of the door but it was you know, as real as any other aircraft you go into without wings well, I still and I used those for years I still once I'd been inside one for two minutes I'd go I'd have to pull myself pinch myself and go you know I, I really am on the ground I'm not in an aircraft yeah exactly and some of them even smelt like aircraft didn't they mm. Not in a good way. (laughs) No, not in a good way. But now on that thing, and I was thinking, and you said, wonder where they are now. I know, sadly, the Virgin ones are no longer available because of all the changes they've had Mm. to make. And I gather that a lot of facilities where other airlines and other companies were trying to do their best, that can't be done. But options that people could consider in the future. I know that when social distancing and COVID has died down, um, some of the major airports will be back to doing their experiencings at the airport. 
and they have been working through with key airlines to do not just the airport but hopefully at some point they will be able to get people onto an aircraft which isn't going anywhere at the airport so hopefully that will come back soon and then i don't have you heard of queen elizabeth foundation paul i have yes only because of you all right oh because of me well, I'm pleased to say, and I, I've checked with them, and I must do hands up alert on this. I get no commercial thing from this, but I am doing another piece of work with them because I think they're a great charity. Mm. But they still have their mock-ups. Now, they are a charity, and these mock-ups have been bought very much second, third, fourth hand. So they're not as perhaps all whizzy and glistening as the, the ones that the airline had, but they still do the job. And um, they have got facilities in Carshorton, Leeds. Oh, I must, I've forgotten the third one. They've got three places around the country. Oh, wow. And so that might be an option if somebody thinks before they're ready to do any test flights or anything, to contact Queen Elizabeth Foundation and see if there are any slots available to go and see that mock-up aircraft environment. That's a great idea, actually, because I do get people ask me um, and so when I was employed or when I was running the fear of flying program I because of lovely people like you would make that possible and a few other characters like David Gott and yeah. you know, Janine and you know, a few other lovely humans like that yeah. they would do their best to accommodate and then we'd be able to take people around and it does make a difference so knowing that they're this foundation still out there is massively helpful to people because I still get asked, you know, mm. what can I do to get myself familiar before I fly? Because the trouble with when you fly is that that's the moment of commitment and then it's, you're either going to get on or you're not. So to be able to do a bit of rehearsal beforehand is massively useful, isn't it? And even if you can't get there or worried at the moment about travel, they've also got some videos online. So they've got some videos and a checklist. So that might help some people mm. because one of the things, and I'm sure you've had it said back to you, passengers or maybe the families of passengers, once they've done a rig visit or once they've had something that addressed the problem that was concerning them, they said, oh, I feel better now. And, and that anxiety, that stress yes. level relaxed. Yeah. And for some people, that was all they needed as a push to book that flight. Absolutely. Because there's so much. Now, there was, I was about to say something then, which I'm going to contradict myself. I was going to say, if you fly all the time, you can get accustomed to these things. But that's that also doesn't help some people who have, have a fear of flying. It doesn't matter if they flow, flew every day, they'd still have it. Uh, but for some, it's like that once or twice a year thing. And so then it's a lot of unknowns. And you do have to hand over control to other humans, don't you? And people you probably won't even meet. So it's a big deal, you know. And all those things going on that if you don't know how an aircraft works, you might worry. And I'll put my hands up, and this sounds really weird. I love flying. I always have loved Mm. flying. Um, And then it's probably some really strange psychological thing here, but I love every aspect of the journey until I have to go to the toilet on an aircraft. I was going to ask, tell me more, but then I thought, is that maybe well, not? No, and, and I know I always forget about it. And then all of a sudden I'm in this aircraft toilet and then it's like, and then I feel the fear. Really? And I have absolutely no idea. And then I'll come out mm. and I'll be fine. And it, it may be a bit of claustrophobia. Yeah, it could be. Think, 
because mm. um, there are no windows um, unless you're on some really whizzy. I think some of the 787s have windows in the toilets now. And it, it's very strange. And I always wonder why when it cries me, I go, oh my God, yeah, that's it. That's, that's yeah. me in an aircraft toilet. And I'm for those few minutes I have to be there, I'm terrified. Well, that's really interesting. I have, I have heard that before. Oh, have you? I didn't expect oh. you to say it. Yeah. But I've heard it before. I'm not sure I want windows. I guess no one's going to be looking in, are they? So it's fairly, yeah. it's fairly safe <laughs> if they are. Uh, so tell us about your work then, because like I say, when I had people on my courses that were wheelchair users and, you know, I had people who were autistic and all sorts of challenges people were dealing with, you know, that that would add an extra element to the fear because you've mm-hmm. got not just the fear of flying, but you also one wheelchair user said to me once they take my legs away and I don't know if I'm going to get them back and I thought that always stayed with me. that was over 20 years ago someone said that to me and it's always stayed with me because I just thought wow that we are you know we can take it for granted we might be worried will we get out but we know that we probably could if you're a wheelchair user and someone has taken your legs away what do you do then? It's and it was it, yes, it's always stuck with me. Well, I think there's actually a whole onion ring of issues there. Of you have lost your mobility while you're on the aircraft. So if there is an adverse event and you want to get off quickly, you haven't got your mobility. Now, I know that frequently somebody will be travelling with a travelling companion who will assist them if they have to get off the aircraft, and of course crew are trained as well i'm sure you will be saying to people that the crew once they've done everything they have to do of the emergency checks that they have to the initial thing is they go around and check and assist anybody who needs help to get off yes so there are always the backup Mm. plans but then as well i remember one and i wasn't in the country at the time i was on holiday and I could see that there had been an incident on a Virgin Atlantic plane back into Gatwick. And there wasn't actually anything wrong with the aircraft. But as an abundance of caution and because of things that were indicators that there might be something wrong, they actually um, used the slides and asked people to evacuate. That's right. Remember and it. there were some wheelchair users on mm. there. And then it was the case of, and everybody got off safely but it was then of course you're not with your chair yes so you're then in the airport environment and your chair is still in hold yeah so you then lost your independence Mm. but you also as well wheelchairs if even if everything goes right wheelchairs can be damaged and then you land safely at your destination there have been no issues and you've lost your independence there because yeah. an airport or an airline and they don't choose to do it but somehow they have yes. damaged your wheelchair you can imagine all of that adds so much extra pressure doesn't it yeah. that you'd wow that's a lot to deal with but i have a little bit of good news on that Ooh, one i don't know okay. if you've seen things in the press Paul? i've seen uh, anything you? you've released or links i've seen it because I ah, follow okay. you, not in a stalker type way, but you know, in, <laughs> in an interested way. Well, you won't get much from me because actually I don't use social media a lot. But whenever there's anything really interesting, I go, oh, I, I want to tell people about this. So there are a couple of things happening, which 
it's not going to be an immediate quick fix, but I really hope it is going to help people who are permanent wheelchair users in the future. So I have a personal interest in this just because I think it's the right thing to do to make yes. air travel as, as easy as possible and as dignified for everyone. So probably four or five years ago at Virgin Atlantic, I facilitated a symposium and it was the first wheelchair in the cabin symposium. It was just to get people at mm. the table. So Christopher Wood from Flying Disabled and he's the father of two wheelchair users. He wants to get wheelchairs in the cabin. Yep. And also a lady called Michelle Irwin, who has um, a not-for-profit organization in the States called All Wheels Up. She'd been campaigning in the US. So she came over as well. Lots of key players were at the symposium. And it really started the conversation rolling about, could we eventually get wheelchairs in the cabin? And lots of people said no. And I yes. used to say, I'd like to see it in my lifetime. And I, I was convinced I'd see it in my lifetime, but probably not before I retired, that sort of timeline. Mm. And a few years ago, we heard that the US Department of Transport had appointed a US Access Board. So people with disabilities and lots of technical people. And they did a study, I think for about two years, looking about would it be technically feasible to be able to put a wheelchair in the aircraft cabin with a passenger in the wheelchair. A little bit like in this country, you can put your wheelchair into a train or a bus. Yes. So, you know, the passenger would not be separated from the wheelchair, wouldn't have to come mm. out. And I didn't know what the content of this wheelchair, of this paper would be. And that got issued two, three, maybe four weeks ago now. And it's like, oh my goodness. Long paper, really quite boring in some parts. It's very technical. But the strap line is they couldn't see any technical reason why it wouldn't be feasible. Now, if I was still working for an airline, I would be going to my directors and people saying, you know, these new aircraft that you're planning and buying yeah. and investing in in five, mm -hmm. 10 years down the future. Mm -hmm. Can you please make sure this is available? Because now that paper is through by the US government, with no big barriers. Yes, they're talking about safety and yes, they're talking about space yeah. and lots of other things that need doing. But I firmly believe that in the next 10 years, US government will be mandating this on aircraft. Amazing. I'm sure they will do that. So that, that's one issue. But then I do know of other people in the background who have been doing some work on this who aren't government people, more from the either personal or professional angle so all wheels up in the states mm. they've done a lot of work on certifying the straps that tie down wheelchairs there have been some other people who have been working on really amazing seat designs because if you think about how small an aircraft is and wheelchairs are quite big some yes. of them yeah that's right you wouldn't and that was always my issue how would you get a wheelchair down the aisle mm. that narrow mm. corridor on an aircraft mm. well some of these seats are coming through and hopefully will be authorized signed off as safe soon they have sliding seats which widen the aisle so that is one All option right. okay, that yeah. could be used yeah and then chris wood who did this symposium with me and i can now talk about it because the press release is out there i think it got released last week actually he has been working with Policeman Good 
who are a very well-renowned international aircraft designer. And I can't remember, Nigel Smith, I know his name, but I can't remember the name of the company he works for, but they do lots of work on standards and certification. Right. And they've been doing a project which is patented, but they have demonstrated that you can get an electric wheelchair in a small single aisle aircraft. And they chose the single aisle aircraft because they knew if it worked on a small single aisle, it will work on big ones. And they can actually get a wheelchair in safely, maneuver it into position into this seat, which adapts, this aircraft seat, which adapts. Yeah. And you don't lose any other seats. So it's not going to cost an airline revenue. It's going to be safer for the passenger. Yeah. It's going to be faster at the airport. Um, So there's still things to do. That is remarkable. If you look at the press release as well, um, and I'll be careful what I say, I'll point people to the press release. It does say in there something about this is being worked on. I won't say the words because I know things that I'm not allowed to say, but there's something in the press release which means this isn't just an idea on paper. It's got some momentum, doesn't it? Um, And then there's another angle about that, which hopefully will give people the confidence that the industry is taking it seriously. Um, JJ, Johnny Jasper, who you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for people who don't know Jonathan Jasper, he used to work He did a podcast. He's done a podcast. Oh, did he? Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, for people who either don't know him or didn't listen, didn't catch Mm. that podcast, Jonathan Jasper used to work at Virgin Atlantic, worked for years. I used to sit next to him for many (laughs) years. And he was spot on on all the safety issues yes for air travel and he now covers that for IATA mm. um, so that is the trade industry for airlines and he is doing he's facilitating a conference in December for IATA and that item of this wheelchair in the cabin and the US access board report is on that conference uh, and I know that because I've got to prepare it brilliant um, so, yeah, um, so US government are looking at it. Mm-hmm. IATA, it's on the table. And then there are various commercial enterprises who are coming up with possible commercial solutions to this issue. That's just brilliant. I mean, and this is just as like a snippet of some of the stuff you've been working on. And no doubt was this passion that you have there's two questions actually there's a bunch of questions I want to ask but there's <laughs> a, the, I'm, I'm kind of interested how you got started what gave you the this sort of passion the bug but also I really I really would like to know about the MBE and how all that happened and you know okay. what that was like so I don't know I'm just nosy and I think people no, well, would love to hear it so I, I had an inkling you know from things you wrote about or what you might ask and I was reflecting back on this and a little bit, I sort of know why, and then I don't know why. Mm. Um, I have always, always, always been interested in helping people on accessibility issues. I, it wasn't, I, I'll tell you, I, I won't tell a lie. My first brownie badge, age eight, was cookery. I was in Bahrain at the time, and that was how I got my love of flying. So in the 60s, my dad moved abroad, mm. and I had my first flight at age eight to Bahrain. We lived in Bahrain for several years. So my first brownie badge in Bahrain was cookery. 
but my second brownie badge and I can't remember the name of it but it was obviously in helping and that's where I learned sign language the alphabet so I learned to sign in, in England it's on two hands in America it's one and I can't remember the American sign language so something at even at age eight yeah I wanted to do it in the brownie badge yeah. and it may have been my grandparents, grandma and granddad on my father's side, lifelong fundraisers and worked for the British Legion. And my grandmother actually had, wasn't an official funeral, but they came and commemorated yes. her at her funeral, age 95, when she died. And also as well, she was invited umpteen times to official British Legion Things. Right. Okay. So she was, yeah, a person of influence by the yeah. sound of it, and and yeah. always voluntary. You know, she never worked for money. All I knew is she was always doing things. So I was interested. And then when I was at school, senior school, we did lots of things for our school. Duke of Edinburgh didn't exist in those days. It did, but our school didn't. Um. So then when I was at senior school, we didn't do Duke of Edinburgh as such, but we did lots of voluntary work. Mm. and I found somehow doing it I got a lot out of it yeah and then when I was at youth club we did things where we would take disabled people out and do teas for them Um, and then I signed for the deaf and deaf blind so I was always doing that Mm. and then I moved to Virgin Atlantic and I was in the medical team and we were I went to a meeting about purchasing a new aircraft. And it was all about where were we going to put medical equipment on board and everything. And then I realized, well, what about the wheelchair accessible seats? And what about the accessible lavatory? Oh, well, I will actually say the word you used to use in the aircraft and it was the handicap seats and the handicap lavatory because that was the old airline yeah, old terminology. Language. Yes, yes. I mean, I think that's why I picked my eyes up and going, what are you going on about handicapped? I don't like that word. And then I was going, well, who's covering this? Mm. And nobody was. So I went back to my manager, um, Charlotte Rogers, and I think you know yeah, her yeah. school. Well, I went about the medical stuff, but nobody's doing anything about this. Oh, oh, so nobody's doing that for aircraft. So I said, well, I'll manage it. And it was just a, a so it's small... like a, it was like an epiphany then, wasn't it? That moment where you kind of woke up, noticed it, and thought, well, that's obviously why I'm here. Yeah. But as well, it wasn't that Virgin Atlantic wasn't interested in accessibility. It had a great special assistance mm. team and everything. It was just mm. a blind spot on yeah. Yeah, absolutely. the hardware and equipment. And then it started growing like topsy because then governments around the world woke up to accessibility. I mean, you'll remember years ago, there, weren't, there wasn't any legislation. And I was going, oh, this legislation's coming through. So I was thinking, well, we better make sure that Virgin Atlantic's compliant. So it morphed into two roles. So I was making sure everything was as accessible as possible. Yes. And then everything ticked all the boxes we had to tick. And then they thought, oh, we better make a role for this. So then I, the role came up and I applied and I got it. Well, I've always wondered how it happened because yeah. you were the kind of the go-to person. And, mm. and it's lovely to hear that, that story. So it's, it's almost a great example of synchronicity, isn't it, that... Yeah. the right person to be there to spot it and then to, and to do something about it you you it's, it's one of those things i'd say to anybody if you're passionate about something and I, i'll talk about that to be anything if you're passionate about something and you see a need mm. you'll stick your head above the parapet mm. and say it and you never know no. where it will lead you 
No, look at you now. I mean, you yeah. just... So, whiz forward then. Yeah. You left Virgin at some yeah. point, and then you've set up something to help accessibility. So tell us about, tell us yeah. all about that and how you got the MBE and what's the Queen like? Because ah, these are well, all the questions we, we need to I, know. <laughs> there's lots of you just asked me. I cannot answer. I know, I know. I'll, I'll rewind back to the beginning <laughs> of that one. Now, the only reason I left Virgin Atlantic was because, and I, the way I can explain it is, I was having to say no to more things outside Virgin Atlantic right. than I wanted to say no to. Mm. Still love the work I was doing at Virgin, but because accessibility has grown so much over the years, there are all these exciting things. And I thought, oh, I can't do that because I work for Virgin. Yes. So I, and it was like almost 21 years to the day. I re, and I hand wrote my resignation letter just because it was like, I don't want to do this, but I have oh, to. Yeah. Um, and I hand wrote it and hand delivered it in. I said, I'm sorry, I'm going because there are other things I want to do. And so what was really great was I set up my little company, Accessible Travel Consultancy Limited. And one of my first gigs back was back with Virgin because <laughs> they wanted me to come cover some things. So I did do that. And mm. then I also did a piece of work for IATA. Yeah. And I was working. Oh, yes. And I'm still working for Gatwick and Heathrow Airports. And it was getting really, really busy. And I was just beginning to get to the state of, oh, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to employ some more people? And then the pandemic happened. Ah. And yes, March last year, I said, oh, if I just get to the end of March, I can have a rest because I'm a little bit busy. Oh, so it's your fault. Yeah. And then <laughs> my rest at the end of March. <laughs> yeah. no, and it has, no, the one thing though, I'm really pleased to say is it hasn't been nothing. So yes, mm. the busyness and paid work has obviously died yes. right down. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really fortunate I don't do it for the money. You know, I'm technically retired. I'm, this is, I'm doing this because I love doing it. Yeah. But all throughout that, airlines, airports, industry bodies, campaigners, everybody has still kept banging this accessibility drum. Yeah. So, yes, some of the things we would like to have happened haven't. But to give you an example, US government have brought in some things of clarifying what assistance animals can and can't fly. There is this new report. There are new initiatives that have been happening at airports. So. It, it has carried on. So anyway, I've digressed. You also asked me. It's about a good MBE. digress. I MBE. was really excited. I saw, I saw the notification came out that you've been put forward for the MBE, and yeah, and I was just so pleased for you because I knew all the work you've done. You know, when you see these things, it's just great to see people getting recognised. And there's lots of people who do stuff, and not everybody gets recognised. But when you see somebody that does really good work, and you're a good human, and you get recognised. Then it's exciting for us oh. as well because vicar, you know, vicariously is that the right word? We all yeah. feel we all feel all in proud as well. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm not going to be able to answer you as well because, and it's been a long story. I've still not got my MBE. I knew about it June of last year. I mm. got this email. And I'm thinking this is a scam. What what's this? And I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. And it said this. It's all been d- delayed because of COVID. And it was for services to accessible aviation. I'm going, well, yes, I know that. But so I wrote back and said, well, yes, I'd be delighted to accept. And these are all the information. But who nominated? What for? You know, and we can't tell you. It's all completely confidential. Wow. 
Uh, and what they did say was that once it's announced, you may find people who have been involved in your recommendation will come out the woodwork. And all I know is it's not just one. You don't you mm-hmm. don't get nominated from just one piece of evidence. So there's obviously several people who've said oh, something. Oh, that's lovely. But nobody, <laughs> nobody's let me know. <laughs> So yes, no one looking at you in a special way now. <laughs> so if anybody hears this and did contribute, yeah, I mean, fess you, up. If you want to keep it quiet, keep it quiet. But if yeah. not, I'd, I'd love to know. And but Geraldine's had enough, and for goodness' sake, come and tell her, put her out of her misery. <laughs> She's fed up of just not knowing. Is that, is that about, well, I'm just I'm paraphrasing. Forgive me. Yeah, no, it's not that at all. But you know, if <laughs> somebody wants to keep it quiet, yes. But you know, I don't mind if you want to tell me. And then I had my letter last week, fine. So it was delayed and then got announced last October. Mm. But I will receive my MBE this November. Oh, amazing. At Windsor Castle. And it's really COVID secure. You have to show evidence of a negative test that day, mm. mask wearing, show your COVID app, everything. Um, not at all like it used to be. There's not a group of people. You may take one person there's no celebration but it's like i'm going to windsor castle it'd be fantastic so i've got the dress i'm glad it's come through and also the really good news about that is that after you've got that there is a mcdonald's not two minutes away from the windsor castle (laughs) that you can pop into to have a celebratory big mac or something you know i'm not you know i don't want to sort of like plan your evening for you but there you go it's Mm -hmm. there's a world of options open to you and i just want to tell you one thing as well the date of my oh, I can't even remember investiture that's the mm. name they give it mm. the date is 23 years to the day that I joined venture and shut up no yeah. way yeah and that's like that you said about spooky you know that thing of the right place right time to me that's just like square oh, wow. in a circle and everything that is really I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased I mean, it's lovely when you see great things happen to great people so you deserve it you've done a lot of work and you continue to do so and I think it's remarkable. Well, thank you. But I'd just like to say this wasn't me because I couldn't have done it without the people, mm. you know, all the people I work with and also all the people I've learned from, the people with the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even though, even though it's quieter, I still learn something most days. Yeah. Mm. That's good. So if you had to give one sort of, I always ask this to people, one sort of bit of advice for people what could they do to get help or where where could they go very good question there are lots of places to go Mm. and I would say I'm trying to put this politely I'd say well first of all go go to your airline that you're flying with because you can put it politely what are you going to say (laughs) well and and then I then I'm going to say and if that airline doesn't help you and give you the help that you need Mm consider flying with another airline oh call in the big guns well no no, 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 geraldine lundy in there going right what's going on it's just that i hear so many times that if you're not getting the help even at the basic level yeah and you know 99 times out of 100 nothing goes wrong but if you're not getting the help or information at that very beginning Mm. If something does go wrong, you're probably not going to get that help you need when you really need it. And I'm sorry to say that that's going to upset some airlines. But yeah, that that would be my. No, I think you're right. I think that's 
and you've got to trust your instincts haven't you because you know when you are rel more reliant on others I guess for want of an expression, then you, you, you're reading into every tiny little bit of information or lack of information and the way that people uh, treat you, talk to you, don't talk to you, et cetera. And I think these are really big clues by the sound of it, in, based on your experience, that things to look out for. Yeah. And then remember that the airline is only one part of your journey. So as well, look at the airport websites mm -hmm. at both ends of your journey. And now obviously, you know, you frequently can't choose to fly to another airport or change your airport, but there is a lot of information on some airports' websites which will help somebody who needs more information perhaps to relay their fears. Oh, amazing. So there's I worked out the other day, there's probably 53 countries that download the podcast, obviously lots in certain areas, and then just smattering around the rest of the mm -hmm. world, but which is pretty cool. But so they're generally, it sounds like in the UK, there's the Queen Elizabeth Foundation, and yeah. there's probably a few other places you might recommend. There's any links to the US would be fantastic because there's a lot of listeners there. But also, if there are kind of global contact points, what, what would you recommend? So oh. I put you on the spot there. Oh, that is a big, well, no. I... I would say, I mean, I, I don't know all the airports in the US, you asked about the US, but there are some fantastic airports that have got good websites of information. And off the top mm. of my head, I know Seattle and LA, they, they have very good accessibility managers, but there'll be other airports as well. They're just mm. ones I've, I've dealt with. You've also got some good airlines. I'll say a few, and that's not to knock some of the ones I'm not saying, because I either don't know about them or don't remember, but Australia, Qantas, they are, well, hopefully they still are, but they always used to be all over accessibility. Brilliant. It was one of the things they used to have really yeah. high. Yeah. Cathay Pacific, Singapore Airlines, although mm -hmm. I've never flown with them, I've always had. So you will find there's some good airlines out there. And another thing as a touch point, and I was doing a piece of work a few months ago, and it, it was more on reducing anxiety this wasn't anything to do with disability that this is people struggling to work out what they couldn't couldn't do under right. the covid restrictions yeah, and everything yeah, yeah and when i was looking at various airlines and various airports mm. putting this report together i thought oh i would be more comfortable flying a to b on that airline and using those airports just because the information they had Yes. About COVID was so clear. Mm. I thought, right, if they're on the ball with what they're doing there and they were updating as yeah. things changed, mm. okay, it might not help. It might not translate into accessibility, but I was thinking, yeah, I think there would be better to yeah. be on top of what they're doing with accessibility and inclusion for people who need that extra bit of help. And that's another great tip, isn't it? So that's sort of like a little clue in terms of a positive sign of what else they might be thinking about as well. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Uh, I, and also as well, do your research. I, I will tell you, and you might want to cut this out, but... I'm definitely leaving that in. Oh, well. <laughs> um, you could even get let down by government websites. I have, I'm aware of a poor family at the moment who are trying to fly to Dubai. Mm. They have a member of that 
party who has a severe disability. Right. Because of severe disability, they cannot take various types of tests, COVID tests. And they have been vaccinated. And there are two at the moment, as of yesterday, two Dubai Mm. websites, both official websites. One saying she is this person is exempt from the test. The other website saying they are exempt from a test on leaving Heathrow, but will be mandated to take a test on arrival at Dubai. And it's a whole... That's a minefield. There's five characteristics that these two websites say, and one saying totally exempt, and the other one saying exempt on departure but not exempt on landing then i've taken it to various people and i can't get a definitive answer that's not helpful is it and it and i'm thinking this poor family i i I don't know what they're going to do and yeah and i've looked at what airlines are saying and they've looked at what yeah Mm. and it's like for the want of misinformation that is incredibly stressful for family who have no idea what they're going to face yeah, and and to add in the fear of flying, a lot of you know a lot of fear of flying is about dealing with uncertainty, yeah. which we all have to deal with. But it's worse if you've got fear of flying, and that type of mixed messaging doesn't help. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can be as simple as making sure you are giving accurate information. Yeah. Mm. Geraldine Lundy. <laughs> you are amazing. I've gone on and on. No, not at all. That's a brilliant. There's some lovely, lovely bits of advice there. There's some stuff there which is just outside of the area that I normally work within, but I love it because it's just going to be really helpful because all sorts of people listen to this podcast and and I know. So thank you so so much. I'm really grateful and uh, keep thank doing what you're doing because it's just phenomenal. And then hopefully we'll meet up in real life yeah. at some point yeah exactly <laughs> instead of everything virtually but no, I, I mean i don't know anybody now below their shoulders you know i just i assume they still have bodies but i don't know i just yeah. i just meet bunches of heads on screens you know <laughs> <laughs> so yes yes i hope things get back to some sort of normality at some point and and again thank you that was brilliant oh thank you